This is recording number 11081 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, December 15, 2013. This is the fourth message in a series titled, The Characters of Christmas. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Shepherds. Chosen by God. verse 8. And we're going to continue today our current study called The Characters of Christmas. And we're looking at the men and women that populate the narrative of the advent, the arrival is what that means, the, the coming of the Lord Jesus. Because their stories, God intended, I believe, for them to be a way for him to communicate to us things about what he wants for, for us, to, our lives to be like, and the ways that he wants to work in our lives. They're, to be, they're supposed to be illustrative or illustrative. And so we're going to today talk about the shepherds. We've looked at Elizabeth, we've looked at Mary, we've looked at Joseph, and today we're going to be looking at the shepherds. Luke 2, start reading with me at verse 8. Here we go. Now they were in the same country, or there were in the same country, that means in the neighborhood of, of uh, Bethlehem, the same vicinity of Beth, as Bethlehem. There were in the same country shepherds living out in the flocks, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, uh, being a shepherd in those days was not something that you necessarily uh, would have aspired to. You, don't, you didn't go to Jerusalem University to learn how to be a shepherd. Um, you, you became a shepherd usually because it was either, whoa, <laughs> rolling thunder out there today, man. Uh, if you're listening by uh, audio, we stopped for a minute because hell's angels were, were rolling by, I think. Anyway, if you became a shepherd, it was usually because you were the runt of the family, and it was a job somebody had to do, and everybody else had outgrown it, so it's your turn, and you go do it. Or uh, you, uh, it's the only job you could find, or probably in a, a smaller subset of people, you are the kind of person that is so unsocial that you just wanted to spend your life with sheep uh, away from, as far away from every living human being as you could get. So anyway, that's where these guys are coming from, and... Uh, not a job, that, as I said, that you would aspire to. How many of you in the room have either a job or something that occupies you, like being the mother of three uh, under the age of five, something that occupies your life that you would consider to be rather ordinary? All right. I'm not alone. That's what I would expect. I don't think most of us, we don't have a lot of CEOs in here. We don't have a lot of ex-presidents of the United States in this room. We don't have a lot of rock stars in this room. We would, most of us, consider ourselves and our lives to be rather ordinary in terms of how this world would see us. Well, these guys were very ordinary. And what they were doing right now as this story begins is very ordinary. They're just doing what they do every single day. 
they're out taking care of their flocks on the edges of town, uh, and it's nighttime, and so there's a little bit less act, if a little best, bit less activity, but they're still on the job, keeping making sure that the flock stays together, that there aren't any predators that uh, you know affect the flock. There, but they're just doing what they always do. And I want to make that point before we go any further because my question when I come to this passage, this part of the Christmas narrative, is always the same. I have some answers for it now after you know years of walking with the Lord and I'm going to share some of that with you today. But my question still, every time I come to this part of the story, is what are these guys doing in the story? Why in the world, why in the world are they part of the Advent story, the narrative of the coming of Jesus? There's nothing uh, that would stand out about their lives. In fact, these guys are going to see, they're going to become the first evangelists. They're going to be the very first people in this world that get to declare the gospel. And... These guys, by reason of their being shepherds, are the least, that, the least qualified in terms of what we would imagine for people for that job. They don't like talking to people. They don't like interacting with people. That's why they live out there on the edge of town with sheep. But God includes them in the Advent. And behold, so they're just doing what they normally do, day in, day out. Verse 9, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. These guys doing what they always do, just living life, just going to work every day, taking care of business, but they were surprised by glory. God snuck up on them. God invaded their space. God wedged himself into their ordinariness. God pressed himself into that thing that defines their little safe niche. How many of you have experienced God invading your space? He loves to do that. Because he's not interested in, in you only having an ordinary life. Yeah. He didn't set this whole thing in motion just so you could get your bills paid, your kids raised. Every once in a while get a night out on the town. That's not his plan. So he wades in, in the, he, and he doesn't announce himself either. Have you noticed that? He just shows up. Really? Angels? Glory? These guys, you can imagine how shocking it would have been for them. But you raised your hand a moment ago to say, I know something of what that's like. God wants to surprise us with his glory because he wants us in the story. Don't ask me why. But he wants you and me in the story. 
this epic that he's writing. He wants you. He wants you. I don't get it. But God wants us in the story. Then the angel said to them, don't be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings. That's the same word that's often translated preaching the gospel. It's the gospel. I bring you the gospel. And notice this. He says, I bring you the gospel. I bring you. It's very personal. I bring you the good tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. This is for everybody, but right now, it's for you. When God invades your space and presses into your ordinariness, that's the first thing you're going to find. Is This is not just about the multitudes. This is about you. But as you can imagine, their, their lives are a little bit upside down right now. <laughs> They're a little, little confused. Don't be afraid, the angel says. I bring you good news. I bring you good news of great joy to be to all people. For there's born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's the gospel right there. The good news. None of us could save ourselves. We were lost, cut off from God by our sin. But God himself took on the job of saving us. Jesus came to save us from our sin. And he says to these guys, look, I know it's unnerving. I know it's a little awkward right now, but this is good news. Now, when the Lord invades your space, I get, you know, I have this great um, vantage point of being able to observe a number of people's lives as God is working in your lives. But here's what I observe often. I observe God squeezing himself into your little corner Unexpected, in some cases unwanted. And yet, he loves you too much to leave you out of the story. So he presses in there with his gospel and his good news. And here's what I see happen. White knuckles. Because you don't know what this means. This upsets everything. If this God is really real, if he loves me that much, if Jesus died on the cross for me, well, that changes a lot of things. Uh, that changes the way I treat my wife. That changes the kind of employee. That changes my language. That changes my entertainment options. It changes a lot of things. And so I see the white knuckles. The angel says, don't be afraid. This is good news. This is good news. And from my vantage point, I, I love to watch that moment when, you know, people let go yes. and embrace that good news. So the angel comforted these guys with good news, the good news. Verse 12, and this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. How many of you ever had a time in your life where you asked God for a sign? 
I know what it's like to be desperate, to have a situation so overwhelming that you just you cry out to God, God, I don't know what to do. I need you to give me a sign here somehow. Now, the Lord doesn't always, there, there's tests of faith. There are things that God is doing to develop us that sometimes a, a sign would be a shortcut that would keep us from, from a learning or growing in that area. And so we don't always get those signs. And, the, and, you know, that's another story and another lesson for another time. But you can imagine that these guys are so disturbed, so their minds are so blown over what they're experiencing that to hear the angel say, I, I'm going to give you a sign. It's probably a, also good news. And he said to them, you're, here's the sign. You're going to find, in town here in Bethlehem, you're going to find a baby in a manger. Now, we're used to seeing that on Christmas cards and in you know, movies and stuff. So the, the, the shock value of this uh, imagery of a baby in a feeding trough is not something that gets us the same way as it did them. But for them to hear those words, here's the sign. You're going to find a baby in a manger was like, you can't, you can't be serious. So they, they, they get this sign. But what I want you to notice here is he says, you'll, you'll find a babe. You don't find anything unless you look for it. This is an invitation to seek. You see, it's one thing to receive the gospel in terms of the words or the message of the gospel. And the angel has just proclaimed that to them. He's told them the good news. Hey, there's a Savior who's come for you. He's just told them the good news. But that philosophy, that theology, that doctrine, those words, that message is not what saves us. It's when we seek the one who that gospel is about. It's, it's really possible for someone to have a significant encounter with the message of the gospel and not come to know the Savior. Verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel, as if, as if they haven't had enough already, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away. I don't know how long they were there, but apparently it was fairly sudden that there's this grand and glorious, mind-blowing display of the, of the presence of God and these angels there, and then they're gone. <clears throat> and let me tell you something. The gospel, if it's going to transform your life in the way that it does these men that we're going to read about in the next few verses, the the thing that makes the gospel transformative, the thing that saves you, is what happens when the encounter is over. What you do about it. Some of you this morning, you are having right here, right now, 
You are having one of those moments where God is invading your space. He's pressing into you, into your little corner, your little ordinariness, saying, I want you in the story. In a few minutes, this, I, I promise, in a few minutes, I'll stop talking. The music will be over, and you'll get to go home. What you do then is what matters. Will you seek him? Here, you've been experiencing him. He's been pressing into your life. And you've heard a gospel message. You've heard the presentation of the fact that there is a savior for you. Someone who has taken your sin upon himself. Now, will you seek him? They do. Verse 15. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, now this has got to be, pardon me, I'm not, I I don't mean to say that the Bible is inaccurate. uh, God forbid. But this must be the most understated sentence in the whole of the Bible. Let us now go to Jerusalem, or to Bethlehem, and see this thing that has come to pass, which the angel has made known to us. Don't you imagine it was something more like... (laughs) Did you see what I saw? Did you? You you did? Angels and... There was singing and stuff. Really? You, you too? We better go check this out, don't you think? It had to have been more like that. Let us now go to Bethlehem. It must have been what was said, but man, I don't know. Something is lost in translation there. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Just think of the faith it took for them to step out and actually go door to, hey, is there a baby in a manger in here? I mean, (laughs) really? Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. (laughs) Let me go on and read it. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. These men are transformed. Not by a message, but by a person. They were transformed by an encounter when they saw him. When they saw him, they went everywhere telling everybody they could find, hey, the Savior is here. The Savior is coming. You know all that stuff in this Bible they talk about? We've seen it. You, when you encounter Christ, I mean, 
when you have experienced him, when you've seen him. And I don't mean to set this apart as some kind of, you know, only certain people have this sort of thing. No, God intends for you and me to know him, to see him, to experience him, not just hear about him, not just to recite some prayer, not just to go through some class, but to know him. That's what he intends for. That's why he has invaded your space. That's, he wants to write you into the story that you have an experience with him, that you are a character in the play. And it's that thing that transforms your life, that experience with Christ. You will never be the same again. You can't, you can't, yesterday morning, there were almost 80 women here for the ladies' breakfast. At least half of them I'd never laid eyes on before. Let me tell you what I observe over and over and over again. One of the other privileges of being able to have the job that I have. All of you have a little circle of people in your, in, around your life, orbiting around your life in various ways. We call them a circle of influence. And sometimes that's intimidating to think that they're actually people who are observing you. And, and, but, but they're there. Trust me, they're there. And I watch as God begins to transform your life, as you begin to encounter him, when you have seen him, you can't help yourself, but you, it's, like you, it's like that glory starts to emanate from you. You know, when Moses had his encounter with, with God on Mount Sinai, he came down from the mountain glowing, I don't, I, don't explain, I don't know how to explain this, but it's physically bright. So much so that the people said, would you put a bag on your head and kind of cover that up a little bit? That's just too much for us. I, you know, honest to God, this happens in you. Even when you don't know it, even when you're not aware of it. And half of those people that were here yesterday was because, were, were here because they've seen something in you. You can't hide. It's not just a message, not just a theology, not just a doctrine, but an experience. You have a testimony. And it says that these guys, these antisocial shepherds, they probably smell like sheep everywhere they went. They were telling people the good news, and it says that people marveled. Well, not, because of the, not because of the presentation, not because of the eloquence of their dialogue. These guys probably had trouble putting two words together. But because of their testimony. Because they'd seen him. They'd seen him. And then it says they returned. Verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God. Where did they return to? They returned to their life. But their life was never the same. Whatever that, you know, whatever it is that you, that occupies your day. God wants to transform that. He wants to transform that cubicle that you sit in for 8 to 12 hours a day. He wants to transform it. 
a truck that you ride around in all day doing your, you know, helping people with their plumbing or delivering their packages or whatever. He wants to transform that into a mobile unit of the kingdom of God. Those children that sometimes you, we won't go there. <laughs> God wants to transform that little holy huddle into a place of glory, a place where children encounter the Christ that their mom and dad know, know, not just know about. And that's why, that's why the shepherds are in the story of the nativity. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, or consider your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things or the insignificant things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. You are called if you're breathing, you're called. You're chosen. And what I just said about the fact that if you're breathing, you're called, that doesn't minimize in any way the significance of your calling. God has called you. God has chosen you. He's invaded your space to write you into his story. How many of you want to respond to that calling? How many of you? Yeah. Yeah, me too. <laughs> 